I'm glad you're with us. I've got a shocking stat coming up. I think it'll put a smile on your face. Also, we've got a goofy award, Victor Adair, live from the trading desk, and Ozzy Jurek. Hey, ever thought about buying that vacation property? Ozzy Jurek's going to share with us some of the real big don'ts when it comes to buying an island property. Right now, very pleased to welcome back to the show Martin Mirenbild. He's Chief Economist, Dundee Economics. And I can tell you, for decades, Martin has been the go-to guy for people within the gold industry as just one example, plus many other subjects of economic nature. Martin, thanks for finding time for us today. Oh, you're welcome. Michael, how are you? I'm not even know where to start. There's so much stuff going on in the world today. You know, thank goodness it's a long weekend. We can take a little bit of a break and sit back and reflect. Let me start with the numbers that we got out of Canada uh, yesterday. I mean, we we clearly have been contracting at least in the first five months of the year, possibly into the first two quarters uh, totally. What what should we make of all that? Well, I think it's uh, you know we take the data as it uh, as it comes. Uh, you know, I. I there's a debate as to whether we're in recession or not in recession, you know, using a, a sort of a two-quarter uh, negative growth um, definition. Presumably, we are in somewhat of a recession. Uh, but I, I think it's a, it, it's a mild recession. And one of the pluses here is that the Bank of Canada was very quick to realize what was developing, and cut interest rates, and... Uh, indirectly and maybe even directly encourage the Canadian dollar to go down and that that's been a, a big support for the uh, for the economy so you know in certain parts of the uh, Canadian economy we feel hey what what's everybody talking about recession but obviously in other parts of the economy uh, southern alberta and northern alberta and people say my gosh this is a very serious recession so it's it's um, it, it's 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 a little bit like that not everybody is feeling it the same way yeah, absolutely. Well, and again, that's the challenge when we have, uh, you know, when we have the strong resource side of things that we saw the west of Canada explode. I mean, this is the first sort of negative patch for Alberta in about seven years. I mean, they certainly had trouble uh, in 1999 when oil prices dropped into that uh, $10 range. But, you know, and at that point, then when energy prices go up, you've got the east kind of suffering a little bit from that. But I think what's worrisome a bit is that we see the decline in manufacturing. As you say, I think the, there's no doubt in my mind, at least, that when they lowered the interest rates, the Bank of Canada knows full well that the Canadian dollar is going down. And I think they've got to be pleased with that, uh, at least from an uh, uh, Ontario perspective, where they still need to get more action, uh, you know, from their manufacturing sector. Well, that's absolutely correct. And it's th- this is the seesaw that the Canadian economy has always been on. Uh, when the commodity side, the resource side of the economy is doing well, the dollar tends to rise, and the manufacturing side starts to hurt a little bit. Now, to be to be uh, to be sure, of course, when the resource side of the economy is doing well, uh, there is a lot of demand for certain manufactured products and and, and industrial products from the east. So it isn't, uh, you know, the the commodity side is working well and the manufacturing side is uh, is is really hurting. But, you know, that's the seesaw. Now, when the resource bloom is off as it is at the moment, the dollar naturally starts to decline. And, you know, I just thank the Bank of Canada every so often for sticking with a floating currency. This is a very very important uh, component of our overall policy and you can see how things go when you don't have a floating currency and i need only mention greece and some of the countries in europe 
Uh, it's very good that we have a floating currency. I know it hurts everybody. We got a we got a Canadian dollar now at the moment at uh, you know whatever seventy five cents or thereabouts, uh, seventy seven cents. But I'm 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 speaking my book. I think it's going down. Um, and uh, you know that that's important. That's important to uh, to help uh, sustain uh, uh, growth out in, out in uh, eastern Canada. I'm going to come back to interest rates. I'll come back to the dollar in a second, but just very quickly, you know, one of the challenges with the lower dollar is that it sort of can help the overall export sector, but it doesn't help individuals. I mean, it's like a giant pay cut for all of us over the last two years. I think the last time we were at par, it might have been Valentine's Day 2013. But, you know, so as an individual, I feel more poor. And yet, as you say, it can help certain sectors of the economy dramatically. Well, that's that's how it's supposed to work. When the dollar is down, you and I travel less elsewhere, yeah. we import less from elsewhere, and we spend more at home. Okay, and so that sustains demand domestically, demand that would have at a higher dollar leaked off abroad. And that's exactly what the Canadian dollar is supposed to help do. It shifts demand from uh, foreign, you know, us buying foreign goods to us buying domestic goods. It encourages, for example, and you see this here in Victoria, um, you know, more tourism coming north instead of tourism going south. Yeah. And uh, ditto um, in in Eastern Canada. It makes the uh, the manufacturing sector that much more attractive. The manufacturing sector, of course, is a bit under the gun because Mexico also has a manufacturing sector, and it is also trying to supply into the United States. So, you know, for for our manufacturing sector, it's important that we we maintain a a fairly attractive dollar so that we can, you know, inch into the um, into the U.S. economy. I'm talking with Martin Mirenbuild, he's Chief Economist, Dundee Economics. Martin, let's come back to interest rates for a sec. Obviously, we got the cut in January, got another cut earlier uh, in, in July. What do you see coming f- going forward? Well, our, um, our, our interest um, economist, uh, Bill Tharp, is, is, is very much of the view that uh, the probabilities are biased to another cut. Mm-hmm. So that's... You know that, and we'll go with that. And and that, and w- what that will do, um, which I think is important for the uh, the listeners to to appreciate, is if we're cutting once more, and the potential now exists, of course, for the Fed to raise interest rates. You know, we we get a, another little negative on the Canadian dollar because the spreads on interest rates will go against the Canadian dollar. And so that's one of the reasons why we think the Canadian dollar will also decline a little bit more. But that's exactly, of course, what the Bank of Canada wants. Easier monetary conditions, right, and a somewhat lower dollar. Well, you know, again, when I look at uh, what the pro- prognosis or the, the forecasts have been, I've been surprised to the degree to which sort of the major financial institutions, I think, completely missed the boat on the impact of the general resource decline in energy in particular. The Bank of Canada didn't. I remember them in the first quarter saying what we're seeing now is atrocious, and he got really criticized for that, Stephen Polos. But I think that the general financial institutions are scrambling right now to revise downward the impact that, according to the Bank of Canada, has come out of the falling resource sector. Absolutely. Um, I I just can't figure out why they missed it. I I thought that was a very obvious thing. I'm not using 2020 hindsight. We were very clear on this show that it was a much more significant event than I was reading at the time. 
No, in fact, uh, to compliment your show is that you've uh, you and Victor have been um, you know very uh, uh, clear about where you think the Canadian dollar has been heading for well over a year now, yeah. and um, and you've been certainly uh, very correct on that. Let me let, let's one more before I got to take a break. I want to just fire one more quickly at you. Let's talk back about the Canadian dollar. You alluded to it earlier. We're just under, I think, seventy-seven today. So you're looking at seventy-five. Yeah, seventy-five is sort of our our, our kind of uh, near-term stop. Um, our baseline, actually, um, and and that includes a further cut in the Bank of Canada uh, rates and. Uh, you know, we're also not that optimistic about oil prices, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're looking at something closer to, you know, 72, 71 cents uh, going into 2016. Well, and, well, we'll take a break. I'll come back. I'll get you to elaborate on the oil price, but I've got to get you to chat about gold with me, too. So much more. And and then, Len, we'll talk about your investments in general and kind of general strategies that you should be looking at or the environment you're investing in. We'll do that with Martin Mirenbill, Chief Economist, Dundee Economics. Stay with us. Wait to hear my shocking stat. There's certainly one political leader who will be shocked at the numbers, who was shocked at the numbers. Right now, though, Martin Mirabil joins me, Chief Economist, Dundee Economics. Martin, let's fire a couple more things at you. We just talked about the Canadian dollar. You're looking at 71, 72, maybe another bump down in interest rates with that. You alluded to oil. Uh, it sounds like uh, you and I are in agreement. I, I've been saying right from the get-go that we look. I'm this weakness in oil is not a surprise to me. I think it's going lower. Yeah, there's two things that... Um that I think of uh, when it comes to oil, and 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 they're difficult to model and difficult to try to sort of uh, you know make a projection about. But one thing is that back in 1986, uh, Saudi Arabia did pretty well what it did last fall. It opened up the taps, and oil prices dropped very dramatically in 1986. Anybody can go back to a chart; you'll see that. It took 14 years before the oil price got back to the point where it was at the turn of 1985-1986. There was one small interruption, and that had to do with, with a crisis in, uh, in Russia, where oil prices just peaked a little bit. But basically, we were looking at a 14-year period of low oil prices. And that brings me to the second point. When you're looking at oil, it's not like you look at, you know, what are the costs of production, et cetera, et cetera. You basically, because you know that the cost of production in Saudi Arabia is super low, you know, you're basically having to make a, 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 take a view on what Saudi Arabia will do. And I think that was missed by a lot of people in the market in the first half of last year. You know, the, the feeling was, oh, well, the Saudis will continue to be the swing producer and they will keep oil prices high. Well, they decided not to. Okay, and there were all kinds of theories as, as to, mm-hmm. of course, why and so forth. But that is it. So those are the two things that are playing around in my mind. So if the Saudis persist in driving the price down in order to maintain market share, which is, of course, the, 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 the larger game here, we are going to be looking at low oil prices. Now, whether that's $40, whether that's 35 whether that's 50 I'm not smart enough to know, but low relative to what we've seen. Uh, and so that's the oil, more pressure downward on the Canadian dollar. 
Let's talk about just the broad strategy then as you look at, uh, you know, and we're, we're broad because we don't know everyone's individual circumstances, what their risk tolerance is, what their financial background is, etc. But to me, uh, I've been on the same song for a long time now, and that is buy quality, high quality uh, dividend payers or other yield, not the risky yield. That scares the heck out of me. But it just seems that we're going to be in a low, inv- uh, low interest rate environment for a while, um, you, and you need high quality. Not to survive that. Agreed. The one, the one small change I would, I would, I would add to this is, and it certainly hit me over the last couple of uh, weeks that, you know, things are selling off so badly in the commodity sector, and particularly on the gold side as well, that I, I, I start to feel, and this is a question I would love to ask Victor, and maybe you can ask him later in the program. You know, are we getting to like a contrarian buy situation? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. we're starting to see some really you know, um, uh, sharp declines and the pessimism in, in, in the commodity complex and the gold complex is very, uh, is very high. I saw, I saw a headline the other day, gold, oh, don't forget about gold, it's a pet rock, right? Yeah. That sort of um, attitude. So I do think that this is actually a good time for a contrarian or someone who's willing to take on a little bit of risk is to kind of dollar average into some of these commodity equities. I mean, the, the gold equities, for example, have they have never been lower on a ratio to gold since the data started in 1998 when when, uh, when the TSX switched to the uh, uh, the gold capped uh, uh, index. But that ratio of gold equities to gold has has, has not been lower. In fact. The last time the gold index was around 120 or so, that's where it is now, was when gold prices were $260. And I've noticed the same thing, uh, not as uh, analytical as your approach there, but I've noticed the same thing when just looking at uh, simply overlaying charts of gold with some of the senior gold producers and going, my God, the last time it was here, it was 400 bucks or that, you know, that kind of a, a thought. Like, and it's and one of the things to make clear to people is that the gold bullion and the gold stocks don't have to move in tandem. It's obviously influential, but at some point, uh, you know, the gold stocks are an anticipation of what's going to happen next. And, you know, they can always get overdone on the upside or overdone on the downside. Well, and the, 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 the one key factor, there's a lot of factors that are affecting gold prices and commodity prices um, uh, at, the, at this stage. But one key factor is the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is very strong. As you well know, we've got charts out. I mean, it's on one of its, um, you know, every 15-year runs upwards. Now, when the U.S. dollar rises, it really suppresses the U.S. dollar price of other things, specifically commodities. We just put out a chart, uh, again, where we compare commodity prices, like commodity price indices, with with Mm -hmm. the U.S. dollar, and the turning points are at the exact Okay, dollar goes up, commodity prices go down. Obviously, there's other things that are affecting commodity prices, but that big wave shows up very clearly. And you know that I am fundamentally bearish on the U.S. dollar because I think the U.S. dollar is an overvalued currency. But, you know, I'm spitting into the wind at this point. I'm not forecasting it to go down, but at some point it is going to roll over. And that's the point at which I really want to step back in a bigger way into the commodity sector. I'll just share with you, my guess is that we're still two years away. 
I still think money, you know, the U.S., one of the problems for gold analysts have been they didn't understand that when things got uncertain, they could they could elaborate on all the problems like, oh, there's geopolitical problems, there's financial problems, the Fed's printing a lot of money, other central banks are jumping in. I think what they've missed is that investors have told us very clearly that safety is perceived to be the U.S. dollar, not gold at this point. And I agree that will reverse. I still think we're a couple of years away. Yeah, the other the other aspect in in all of this, of course, is that the QE that has been being done yes. by by the various central banks, uh, investors figured out some years ago that the QE is at least as positive for equity markets as it is for gold. And in yeah. fact, this was made very clear to me in 2013 when the gold price fell sharply. Um, you know, the first time around, uh, the people that were involved mentioned to me, Martin, hey. QE is might be good for gold, but it's super for equity. So we're going to ride the right. equity horse here, and that. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, yeah, I think that's clear. Okay, we've only got a minute or two left. Martin Mirenbild, chief uh, economist, Dundee Economics. Martin, let's uh, again, kind of, what's your cautionary note or your positive note going forward for investors in general? I think diversification. That that at this point, diversification, you know, trumps everything. You want to be very diversified. You want to look for some safety here and there. I think what you just said, you know, very, very solid dividend-paying companies. But, you know, you want to be clear as to where the source of those dividends are coming. I do like the consumer sector in the United States. I mean, it's the one sector, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the global economy where we are seeing uh, some growth. And so... Equities that are focused on that, I think, are important. I think over time, what we're going to be looking at are uh, uh, companies that are involved in various components of the healthcare industry. You know, you and I, uh, as we go forward, we're going to be buying knees, hips, shoulders, you know, that sort of stuff. We want to look for companies that are in this business. Yeah, we'll go out shopping later. <laughs> My time has come a lot sooner than later than I wanted, Martin. Martin, as usual, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. I uh, really appreciate you finding time this weekend. Well, thank you for having me on. Martin Mirville, Chief Economist, Dundee Economics. I'll take a break. I'm coming back with my shocking stat. Just a reminder, though, you know, you're traveling over or anytime during the year, but you can always get Money Talks. Do you want to re-listen to what we just chatted about with Martin? Just go to moneytalks.net, and you get my daily business comment weekdays, uh, Monday to Friday. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to get your kids to listen to it, but you can re-listen to the interview of the week also on Money Talks. Take a break. Come back. Shocking stat. I was just thinking during the break that uh, we've got a few basic tenets correct here on Money Talks, which has led us into the right areas consistently. And number one thing to understand is it's not business as usual. Number two thing is high tax levels and high debt. And remember, the tax, look at all three levels of government, is deflationary. You're seeing that throughout Europe and other jurisdictions. That's why we're not in commodities. The U.S. dollar is the place for safety. The market has clearly ruled on that, very clear. And that's why gold has not performed well, despite the level of uncertainty out there and the so-called printing of money, because the U.S. dollar has been the preference. And speaking of the quantitative easing, the creation of money, as Martin Muirenville just alluded to, the stock market has been the clear beneficiary. That's been the first choice. Gold has not been the first choice. And anytime you look at the market, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. Look what the market's telling you. And that stood us in very good stead. And I've been very simple on this. 
I feel that uh, because of the uncertainty, that you want to be in high-quality dividend payers. And my first stop on that is to see, did they continue the dividend? Did they grow the dividend through the difficult times in 08 and 09? Then I go back further to see how they performed. But I think it's been a straightforward market. Other than that, you're getting kind of cute. You're getting kind of tricky about that. You had to get the major tenant right, which was strength in the U.S. dollar, and deflation is what we're dealing with here. Time now for this week's shocking stat of the week. Well, you got to love this. It's got to have uh, as at least shocked the U.K. Prime Minister. Back in 2013, David Cameron vowed to block pornographic material, and in his, these are his words, from the darkest corners of the Internet. And, uh, you know, he goes back just a few months and he says, most households in the UK are going to have pornography blocked by their internet provider. So unless you choose to receive it, so you have to actually make the statement, I don't want the pornography blocked. And he went on talking a lot about the moral decay that it's caused by this distorting children's understanding of sex and relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And he got the UK's biggest internet service provider uh, all of them got together, and they agreed to this sort of scheme to filter, and it would cover about 95% of the homes. So here's the shocking stat. At least I bet Mr. Cameron was shocked himself. Uh, freedom of information request by the Daily Express found that there were over, are you ready, 247,000 attempts to visit X-rated websites. Where did they come from? From the UK Parliament's computers. That was just last year. 247,000 different attempts to visit X-rated sites. Hey, talk about uh, why don't you start with the home thing instead of worried about what I'm doing. Think about this, though. In April last year, 42,000 requests from pornographic sites. That was 1,300 a day. And the people in Parliament are accessing that. So I'm sure Mr. Cameron, when he got that number, over 247,000 attempts in one year alone from the UK Parliament's computer network, I bet he was shocked. I'll take a break. i got a couple of goofy awards coming up. Ozzy Jurek, did you see this a couple of weeks ago? You've got Warren Buffett and you've got Johnny Depp. I'm sure they listened to Money Talks. They went out and bought islands in Greeks. Well, we're not talking about Greek islands. We're talking about buying islands uh, in the west coast of Canada. And what are the do's and don'ts with Aussie Jurek when we come back? I got a couple of goofies uh, this week picked from the headlines. Uh, you'll recognize the stories. You may not have put this turn on them. Right now, though, Aussie Jurek joins me on the line. This is the summer season right now. People dream of that recreational property. I mentioned just a moment ago, I saw that Johnny Depp and Warren Buffett, not together, but separately, bought Greek islands. And I thought, hey... What about that dream here? You own your own island. Well, of course, the West Coast has plenty of islands there, but there's things to watch out for. Ozzy Jerk joins me on the line as I say, Ozzy, come on, give me that quick list. <laughs> While I'm dreaming and my emotions are at a peak, what should I, you know, bring some common sense to this approach? Well, I'm, I'm actually sitting in Secret Cove on the Sunshine Coast. I'm looking out the glorious entrance and my heart is pumping. I'm in the best marina on the coast. It's just wonderful. Everything is glorious. And that's what happened to us. We're laying on the beach somewhere, and in the summer, and it's hot, and you turn around to, to your wife, and you say, darling, we should buy something here. The moment you do that, you, she should take a big, sharp stick and poke you in the behind, because <laughs> what you often do is 
do a self-inflicted wound. You forgot that it took you three ferries to get there. I mean, sometimes you want to buy an island, say, off Powell River. you got to go through the ferry in Hoshu Bay, then Salterie Bay, just to get to Powell River, and then maybe another ferry to Taxedo or somewhere else. So make sure that you understand that you will not go there that often. Then you quite often we have uh, an island where you there's no car access, and that's fine if you have a boat and that's your, your style. But sometimes you think, oh, well, I'll always rent a boat in, in Horseshoe Bay, and while you can do that, how often are you actually going to do that, right? So you have um, things basically to watch out for. Water. Is the water running fast enough so that you have more than just brushing your teeth? You know, is it like yeah. one gallon an hour? Is it 10 gallon an hour? Very, very important. Well, especially on the West Coast right now, I mean, you know, there's water restrictions. It's had the driest summer on record, really starting from late April. Uh, so, yeah, water becomes uh, very important. And uh, I, I'm sure there's the odd person who sort of found out the hard way. Maybe they don't have the water supply they had hoped for. Exactly. So take a look. I mean, how many wells are there, again, feeding off the same uh, groundwater? You know, what is it like in the summer? Is it year-round? Then, you know, sometimes we have a lot of jerry-built houses on, on the islands. You know, I, I have a boat, and forever friends say to me, oh, so you have a boat, right? When you come and see me, oh, pick up some two-by-fours. Like, they're always mm-hmm. building something. So quite often, though, the building code hasn't been adhered to, so particularly the older buildings, make sure that they that they conform. Also, the rules on some of the islands, like you take in Salt Spring Island, the island trust rules with an iron fist. You know, any building mm-hmm. that's over 108 square feet, like an old building, needs a building permit. And you think they might change the zoning? They won't. You know, what is non-conforming zoning? And you think, oh, well, in Vancouver, we can just get it rezoned. You can't on an island. So is the house built to code? How far away from the water can you build? You see that gorgeous little house right on the water edge, and there's a lot right beside it. You say, oh, I'm going to put my house there. You can't. You've got to be 30 meters, almost 100 feet from the shoreline. So if the, if the lot's 100 feet by 100 feet, there is, there, that's the reason why there's no house on it. <laughs> and yes, you right. You can't build on it. <laughs> and then most importantly comes the... The very fine country order section, the septic fields, you know, you have, uh, yeah, by the way, if you do have a smell of country order, there is a problem with the septic field. <laughs> yeah. But uh, does it work properly? Uh, if there's a tank, has it been pumped out in the last five years? You know, is there a gravity or a pump system? Is the field above your property or below? And all of those questions you should ask yourself. And, uh, and you're going to have a much happier time uh, with your property. Well, the other thing, of course, I'm not sure if you, uh, you know, the beach access. I mean, people have to remember on the west coast of Canada, you don't own the beach. You own up to the water line. So one of the things I always look for, Ozzy, is is it a speedo-free zone? Because I don't want to see guys in speedos on the weekend. (laughs) Well, and some people really look for that. But you're right. (laughs) The thing is, you don't have the access to the beach. You don't own the beach. We don't own it in Canada. So if it's low bank, it often is leased to a clam operation or is it a party beach and and we have a lot of that that's closer to vancouver of course uh where you really don't enjoy yourself because every night there's beer cans flying and loud and, and stuff like that are there are there licensing restrictions so to me buying a property on an island is much more important that you have a strong local realtor that understands all the rules and regulations i mean all of the islands yeah. are governed not only by our canadian laws and, and real estate laws but also by the island trust and you'd be surprised what they can make you do and i'll tell you the other surprise is because i know uh, several people who own on uh 
one of the Gulf uh, property on one of the Gulf Islands, and they have no services whatsoever. You know, it's it's uh, it's not one of the bigger islands. No services, and they still pay. Uh, well, it's called a trust, but it's basically the equivalent of a property tax for absolutely zero services. That shocked me. <laughs> so yeah, you got to know no, what, what those costs are. Yeah. But and the thing is, that's why I think you need that local flavor. You know, sometimes, say, say in Vancouver, well, almost anybody can sell your house. On some of the islands, you need that local specialist. I know Lee Reed, for instance, on Salt Spring. She knows everything about anything going on on the island, and that's the kind of realtor you want. Yeah, good stuff. What about some hot properties? Well, we got one in Gibson. It's a top floor condo. It's rented at a, at a thousand a month. The price is 158,000. It's really like close to shopping and restaurant and Gibson is a fabulous place. But the real hot property is in Mission. We got a one bedroom condo listed at $86,000. I mean, make $86,000. Yeah. The rent is about 850 a month. The seller will carry financing and it cash flows with about 15,000 down quite nicely. So those are the hot properties. So Mission is about an hour from Vancouver, right? Yeah, it's about an hour, and it's really growing. Mission has a very active uh, economic uh, outlook con- council, and they're looking for growth. And so you're, you're going to your investment properties is well located. Good stuff, Ozzy. As your usual, go out and enjoy the Speedo in, uh, what is, where are you, Secret Cove. You're at Secret Cove. There you go. Yes. Actually, the secret uh, is, is the island above it. That's uh, Salmonby Island. If, if you yeah. want ever want to have a great trip and, and lay on the beach, uh, this is what we call Welfare Hawaii because, you know, for 20 <laughs> bucks, take a water taxi and lay on the beach all day, snow white, and it's gorgeous. There you go. Ozzy Jurek, he's vacationing, but he still joins us, and we're happy he did. I'll take a break. I'll come back. I've got a couple of goofy awards, and I've got Victor Adair joining me live from the trading desk right here on the Chorus Network. I hope you go to moneytalks.net, and you can click on. You can get the daily business comment there. And I hope you're getting, you know, here's the big thing. We're graduating kids out of university, out of uh, high school for sure, that really aren't sophisticated Well, they're illiterate, actually, when it comes to economics and finance. I hope you're getting them to uh, listen. They can listen by the podcast. They can go to moneytalks.net, listen at their convenience to sections. But that's the the gift you can give your kids, is to start helping them with their economic and financial sophistication. Coming up, a couple of goofies. But right now, I want to welcome Victor Adair live from our trading desk, Vic. Let's just get right to it and start. What are you making of stuff when you see it out there today? Uh, well, I definitely listened to your interview with uh, Martin Muirbeel. You know, I've known Martin for 25 years. I read his letter every week. Uh, he was saying, you know, if you had a chance, would you ask Victor, is this a contrarian buying opportunity? Uh, it might be, but I'm not. Well, you're talking, uh, I, well, hold it for a sec. You're talking about, uh, you know, because like the gold stocks and other commodities have been beaten up so much, everyone's sort of negative on them. I might say Johnny come lately negative. And so are you a buyer of those because everyone's gone negative? So go no, ahead, sorry, Vic. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm definitely not buying commodities, commodity currencies. I'm not buying emerging markets, junk bonds, and I'm definitely not reaching for yield. And uh, but let me let me say it this way. I mean, I noticed, for instance, a couple of days ago, a giant two-page section uh, in the front piece, front uh, section of the Global Mail about how China is uh, slowing down. And I thought, really? Did they just get the memo? Uh, <laughs> yeah, isn't that true, eh? <laughs> now I have to say, and I'm I'm very uh, cognizant of our good old friend uh, Don Cox saying, you know, you want to get involved with something when it's a page 16 story, not when it's a page 1 story. 
Yeah. But to justify my trading, and, you know, I have been very, very out front with you and your listeners here. I got out of my short crude oil a couple of weeks ago. I got out of my Canadian dollar a couple of weeks ago. I've left money on the table. It is not a game of perfect. I just try to weigh up, you know, an opportunity relative to a risk. But my dear old friend Dennis Gartman has this to say, and it goes right to the heart of the matter. In a bear market, you're either short, really short, or on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And that's where I am. I mean, I right now have probably got the least uh, number of positions on in my trading accounts that I've had in months and months, maybe even years. Uh, I feel like I've you know, left money on the table here, that there's probably more to go. I think there is. But I also feel, as Martin does, that this Martin, this is this whole commodity market, the whole China slowing down story, all that stuff is so severely oversold. We're probably going to get a pop, and then I'd look to be a seller. Yeah, it's important to make that distinction because we get counter trend moves. Nothing moves in one direction without getting a little release valve in the other direction. But the big, you know, looking at the big trend, yeah, I, there, there's got to be a lot more for me. I didn't like the action of the Canadian dollar at the end of the month. I didn't like the action of gold. I think that both spells longer term, they're going down, other commodities with them. It's just on the short term, sure, you can always get that bounce. That's why we have to throw that caveat in there. But I wouldn't get suckered in here. Very quickly, big question that you've got on your mind seems to be, or, or, you know, we've been talking for several years now on you got to watch what the Federal Reserve is going to do and that will they, won't they about interest rates still seems to be the question. Yeah, I think it, uh, specifically what I've been saying, a rhetorical question is what are we trading? Well, we've been trading the anticipation of central bank policies all around the world. Now, right now, is the Federal Reserve going to increase interest rates in September or not, or maybe they'll let it slide to December, or maybe they'll never do it, and we'll have another program of QE. And the market goes, and you can measure these things with the different markets, different aspects of the market that I look at, and up until Friday, the market was kind of leaning toward, yeah, it looks like we're going to get a, an increase in rates come September. And then Friday, we got a really much weaker than expected employment cost index, one of the key parts of what the Fed's trying to, uh, what their mission is, you know, on the one hand is employment, the other hand is inflation. So right now the market has kind of swung to, well, maybe, maybe not, hard to say. So what that means is that the unemployment number that we're going to get on Friday, the 7th of, of uh, September, is going to be crucially important right ahead of that Federal Reserve meeting where they may or may not raise interest rates. Well, we'll be here to chronicle it next week. Victor, thank you, as always, for finding time for us. You go out and enjoy the golfing. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. You have a great weekend I, yourself. That's my prediction. Victor will golf this weekend. There you go. <laughs> time now for this week's – oh, by the way, my thanks to Victor. Uh, also, my thanks to Martin Nirenbeeld, uh, Ozzy Jurich, Michael Levy. And just a reminder that Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a, uh, you know, it's in that technology field, but it's a different structure. It's a royalty-based investment, which means you get paid first. There are no fees involved. So if you want more information, just go to soleraclub.com. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. Well, you probably saw this. I mean, the poor guys in sports have got to talk about something during the summer months when there's no NHL. So a lot of the focus has been what's going on in the NFL and Tom Brady. Tom Brady got a four-game suspension. He recently uh, is in the appeal process with the 
NFL, and it was refused. He's still got that four-game suspension, lots of threats about taking it to a court right now. But listen to this. This is the problem for Brady. He destroyed his cell phone, and along with it, text and email information that would or may, may, may or may not have been pertinent to the NFL's negotiation over these deflated footballs using that playoff game versus Indianapolis. And he got the four-game suspension. Now, I want you to juxtapose that with Hillary Clinton. She destroyed the server that she used exclusively for State Department communication, just like Brady, after the investigation had begun. And what is her punishment? Well, she runs for president with the blessings of the progressive left. I think she's very lucky that Roger Goodell isn't the head of the Democratic Party on that one. But come on. Think about those two responses. By the way, I said several months ago that I thought that Hillary Clinton would be the gift that just kept on giving. Don't you just love, by the way, we're the just-like-you political speak of our leaders? We're going to get it here in the federal election. Maybe Bill started that, Bill Clinton started that by saying, I feel your pain. Yeah, sure. They're just like us, right? You want to be prime minister? You want to be president? No, They are not just like us. But I love this. Hillary, of course, is doing the old, I'm the woman of the people, I'm the average, the friend of the little guy. Well, this came out this week. (laughs) I just like this. She went to get her hair done to a particular place named Bergdorf Goodman. It was put on lockdown. This is just Friday. Okay, I want you to guess how much her haircut cost. Because you probably spend this much yourself. Right? $600 on the John Barrett Salon. $600, and then another $600 for coloring. I just love that. $1,200, that seems like a pretty elitist thing to me. Keep in mind that Hillary hasn't even driven a car, by her own words, for over 20 years. But she's just like me. She's a friend of the little guy. As I say, this isn't uh, just her doing this. This is the game that people play. But they're not just like us, I'll tell you. Their ambitions go far greater, or at least in this direction, than most of us. So that's what gets my Goofy Awards this week. In the meantime, I I do want to encourage you to go to moneytalks.net to click on the daily comment. I want you to go to moneytalks.net to re-listen to any part of the program. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. You can hear that interview with Victor Adair again, or, or Ozzy Jurek, or Martin Muirbuild, or Michael Levy. All of that's available to you. And in the meantime, hey, go out and enjoy your long weekend. I appreciate that you've been listening.